Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Experience Our Industry podcast. We have a super special guest today, and I am uh, I'm very excited for this conversation. It's been one that uh, has been in the works for a little while, and I know uh, those of you who are tuning in to listen uh, think uh, think as highly of this individual as I do. I'm here today with Kirk Sturm, Dr. Kirk Sturm. How are you? I'm doing well, Brian. It's so good to see you. Um, everyone, everyone knows that that uh, that Kirk is is a, a lecturer for our department and has been a lecturer since um, what 2000 and what Kirk two 2002 2002. So yeah, you know, I asked Marnie. I was like, "Is did Kirk precede you at Cal Poly?" And she said. You know, I think he did, and I was like, "Yeah, I think he did too." <laughs> right. So, so uh, I, I love it, Kirk. That's great, and and Kirk is also uh, a colonel with the California National Guard. Uh, we were we were talking earlier. He's about halftime halftime lecturer with us, and halftime colonel with the national California National Guard, um, and uh, just has such an illustrious career. You know, I said Dr. Kirk Sturm. Um, I think. Uh, He's one of the only people that I know that has uh, both a, a JD um, and a EDD. Um, so uh, you know we're, we're, we'll get into we'll get into all that, Kirk. But uh, let's go back in time a little bit. Where, tell us tell us where you're from originally. I'm from the Ventura County area, hmm. and I grew up uh, in that area. Went to junior college there. Okay, that's a uh, that's a that's a surfing. It's a big surfing area. Eh? It is a big surfing area, right? Yeah, right. And did you, did you I, go out uh, surfing? Was that your gig? I did. In in the nice. summers, uh, my family went to the beach in the summer. We we didn't like the traditional families might you know go to Yosemite for a week, right? Well, uh, my parents threw us in the car and we went down to the beach every day. I love it. Well, I was going to say, you didn't have to go far, did you? No, uh, not at all. That's, that is awesome. What did your parents do when you were growing up? Kirk? My mom and dad uh, were teachers. Were they? You know, I, yeah. if I had to guess, that's what I would have guessed. Because you were you are such an amazing educator. So I, I feel like you had to have it in your blood. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my dad, you know, kind of promoted in the school system. Mm-hmm. Um, and while my mom was going to school and then once she graduated and started teaching, he taught the second grade mm-hmm. and finished out his career as a second grade school teacher. And my mom taught mm-hmm. kindergarten. No way. Yeah. Well, not only do you have educators, but you have like the heart of gold educators in your blood. I love that second. And uh, my, you know, my, I look back and my, my second grade teacher, oh man, Miss, Miss Josephine Paul, she was, uh, she was quite something else, had a great impact on me. And uh, I think uh, that, that second grade is, is such a great, that's such a great year. I love it. So, so tell us what was, what was a uh, young Kirk like? What were you into growing up? You know, I was um, early on, I was kind of uh, oriented towards the beach. Yeah. Right. Would spend time uh, at the beach, uh, would spend a lot of time looking face down in a pool, looking at, a, at the bottom of a pool, yeah. swimming and oh, swimming right. and swimming, you know, all the time. Oh, uh, wow. And then was on swim teams yeah. and uh, 
then uh, when I went to junior college, uh, got exposed to water polo, and then uh, flipped kind of my paradigm that I wanted to play water polo mm -hmm. and then swimming to kind of keep me in shape. Yeah, of course. Now, did yeah. you have did you have brothers and sisters growing up? Were they in the Were they in the swimming as well? Or yeah, my our yes, we did. I've got two brothers, and we uh, both of them, you know, swam uh -huh. uh, in high school. Nice. And um, um, you know, we did the age group swimming things when we were younger, and then swam during high school. Yeah. Of course. Right on. I love it. So, uh, you know, you have, uh, Kirk, we're going to get into the many different hats that you have worn over your career. Uh, but uh, I like to ask this question of, uh, of our, our guest. Um, do, you, do you have an, an early memory of, of what you wanted to be when you grew up? You know, I it started for me completely by accident, Brian. Oh, really? I was swimming and playing water polo. And, um, you know, uh, I was, you know, a freshman, you know, and a lot of the people, uh, were a year ahead of me. Right. Mm -hmm. And they said, uh, Hey, uh, you're going down this weekend to take the test. And, and, you know, I was just, well, of course I am, you know, <laughs> I had no idea what test I was going to say what <laughs> test. <laughs> yeah. And so I started asking around and it was a test to be. Um, an ocean lifeguard. Uh -huh, right. And so uh, most of uh, the people on the team, you know, lifeguarded during the summers. And so um, I went down and took one test for the, the county. And then the next week, and I took a test with the state of California. And that doggone test with the state of California, mm -hmm. you know, led to a 30-year career. <laughs> I love it. The test um, is you didn't even know what it was before. You didn't yeah. even know what it was. Right. And, and so, um, you know, I took the test and I worked um, for six summers as a seasonal lifeguard. Right. And promoted inside of that to a, like a seasonal supervisor. Mm -hmm. And then there was only, you know, 60 permanent lifeguards in the state. It, right. It's like being on a football team. It's like going to the NFL and, right. Somehow I made it as one of the 60 right? and did that for 24 years. So I was an ocean lifeguard for 24 years. Wow. You know, I did not know that. I, that is, uh, that is really wild. And so when we, when we get into and, and talking about your career, uh, your career after lifeguarding, like you've done some, some pretty amazing things, but 24 years as a lifeguard, that is just, uh, that is just astounding. Now, um, now you told me to ask you this question, so I'm going to ask it. Um, you, I, I believe you said, uh, ask me why I went to Cal Poly, but then I left. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So why did you go to Cal Poly and leave and then leave? I um I was working for the state parks, right, as a seasonal right. employee right. and thinking that I wanted to get on permanently, so I knew I had to have a four-year degree. Right. Right. And when you think about the state parks, the traditional state park um thought is the redwood trees, right? We're gonna protect natural resources. So I went to Cal Poly, uh in the uh, natural resource management program. Mm -hmm. And I learned very quickly two things. Number one, I wasn't good at memorizing 500 different plants. Okay. But yeah. number two, and I think way more importantly, as I figured out kind of early on, 
that none of this stuff works without people. Right. Organizations don't work without people. And I was more into the people side of the thing uh, and thinking about how do I supervise people? How do I motivate people? Right. Right. And it's ironic that we went to the experience industry management Mm -hmm. because as a department, because it's all about the design. Yeah. Right. Of that experience. And so, right. So I went, I ended up going to Sac State uh, because there were state parks up there where I could work Mm -hmm. um, and I could get my, I could finish my uh, bachelor's degree in recreation administration. Right. I love it. I love it. That's great. So, so how long were you here at Cal Poly? You, you, oh, like a quarter or two. Oh, okay. (laughs) Okay. Wow. No, just long enough to figure out where to park. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so Sac State now took you away from the beach. Uh, so, so um, what brought you back after Sac State um, to, to the beach and, and to, to the career as a lifeguard? Yeah, it, it was that difference, Brian, of, of working the summers versus a full-time job. Mm-hmm. Once I graduated from college, right, then I, I just uh, rotated right into a full-time job, you know, working for the state parks. Gotcha. And so while I was going to school at Sac State, I could, I, there's parks up there. I could work on the weekends, you know, yeah. but they transferred my eligibility, like between the beach and, mm-hmm. and, uh, Lake Folsom and some other places. So mm-hmm. I had a little cross rift for, you know, a couple of years while I finished my degree. And then timing was very lucky that right when I finished, a permanent lifeguard job came open and I, you know, rotated back down to the Ventura, Santa Monica, Carpinteria area. Right on. And and is that where you spent the bulk of the 24 years or did you, um, did you transfer up here? When did you, when did you transfer back up into this area? Yeah. So I spent a, a number of years uh, in that area. Again, Santa Monica area might be the farthest South. I went Carpinteria might've been the North part mm-hmm. of that range and um i uh became a a, a ranger for a park ranger for a year mm-hmm. uh, and then i went back into lifeguarding and then i just i just lifeguarded and it, it was really good because bad. as you know lifeguards work during the day typically yeah. Yeah, right exactly so what did i do at night went to school all right yeah you just kept right? the, you just kept i going, just kept uh-huh. going to school uh-huh. so i uh, went to Northridge and earned a master's degree in public administration uh-huh. and then um, kept lifeguarding. And then I, I would often think about promoting and, and it was very discouraging. I was going to say, was that, was that the, the incentive or the motivation for, for getting your master's in public yes. administration is, is getting yes. promoted? Yes. Right. Uh, I had to have a bachelor's degree to get in. Mm-hmm. Right. To, um, and figured, you know what, I could get an advantage because I could learn something about public administration, which would play well to that, as opposed to getting a, uh, uh, there weren't any options for me to get a master's degree, like in recreation or something like that, in terms of a reasonable commute time. So I I jumped ship and went to public administration. Gotcha. And before, before we move out of the lifeguarding years, yeah. I want you to, I want you to tell me, uh, tell us, I, I think, uh, our, the listeners would love to hear this. So tell us the most, um, harrowing experience that you had as a lifeguard that turned out 
that turned out well. I, we don't want to hear any really sad ones, but but that turned out well. Did you have a did you have one that uh, that that stood out over twenty four years? I'm sure there had to be one, right? Yeah, uh, part of being a lifeguard with the state parks is that um, the the sixty permanent lifeguards are also peace officers. So I went to a yeah. police academy. Yeah, and there was a a time period uh, during the summertime where I was working a night shift and, um, uh, uh, this car came into the park that, um, you, you know, was maybe a little bit different. Right. And so my goal was to say hello and see if I could help them with something, you know, why were they in the park at night and stuff? Yeah. And it was, uh, they saw me and then they drove fast out of the park, you know? And so I followed them. Uh, out of the park. And, um, when I got to the entrance to the park, I looked around and there was nobody there. Right. right. So I drove back into the park and I'm, I'm sitting there and, um, over to my left, I hear this moaning oh. and stuff. And I'm going, huh, that's kind of weird. So I'm looking in the bushes. Well, here's what happened. Those guys, those guys were driving so fast that there were, it, you had to make a left turn to kind of get out of the park. They were going so fast, they went straight and oh. they ended up in the bushes. Okay. Oh. And so it was just by a stroke of luck that I drove back and sat there and heard them. Uh -huh. So when I went over to help them, uh -huh. you know, um, they were pretty mad at me. Oh, I bet. <laughs> right. I bet. And, and, <laughs> yeah. so, and so uh, it was uh, kind of frightening having, you yeah. know, a number of people uh, mad at you. Yeah. And, um, maybe starting to attack me and stuff. And so I called for assistance and stuff, yeah. but it, it takes, you know, 10 or 15 minutes. Cause you're in a rural park for, I was going to say, yeah, there. back. And up. so, um, oh, uh, I was, uh, attempting to arrest one of them and I heard footsteps and all of a sudden my heart just sank because I'm going, I'm going from doing my job, protecting the public. Now I'm about to be outnumbered, right? Yeah. yeah. Because I heard these footsteps. Well, guess what? It was campers and the campground. Uh-uh, oh, coming to help you? <laughs> yeah, coming to help me. That's awesome. And so so, um, so I had these people sit on this first person, mm -hmm. and uh, I went up and kept dealing with the other people in terms of rendering first aid and right. stuff like that. So. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> what a story. I was expecting you to tell me like, uh, you know, saving someone from a shark and, uh, <laughs> but, well, uh, but that's a, that's an even better story. So, uh, I do have an interesting story. It was a winter time mm -hmm. and, um, I, I was driving around, you know, along the beach, uh, in the beach area, received a radio call that a taxi driver had just dropped somebody off at the beach in a certain area. Mm -hmm. And she seemed despondent mm. and, um, he, he thought it was weird. So he called somebody, right. And they connected the dots. And so I went looking for her and I found her. And, uh, right when I arrived, you know, it was in the winter time and, and I, she's in the water and I help her get out of the water and stuff, you know, and, and ask her kind of what was going on. And, uh, water's too cold. She said. <laughs> water's too cold so she got out so i went yeah. okay fine so yeah right, right hey let's get you some help okay uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, sure. anyway oh man uh well so 
so after lifeguarding, you got your master's, you got your master's degree. Um, you continued, you continued as a, as a, a lifeguard. Um, yeah. what was that, what was that next step? Like, you know, after 24 years as a lifeguard, I imagine, um, transitioning on, uh, was, uh, that, that had to be a, a difficult step. It, it was part of that 24 year journey though, was again, lifeguards work during the day. Yeah. I had the nights free. So mm -hmm. I went to law school. So it took me. <laughs> yeah, that's when law school too. Okay, right. I gotcha. it, it took me four years to get through law school right. and earn my JD. Right. Right. What was the incentive there, Kurt? You know, it was kind of funny. Um, just by a stroke of luck, you know, I was a permanent lifeguard and there was about 55 seasonal lifeguards. Remember, I used to be one of the seasonal lifeguards, but I converted right. to full time. Right. And, um, a large number of people return every year. So you would get people for four years or five years, you know? Right. And um, surprisingly, a lot of them going into professional endeavors like law and right. stuff, and they wanted the summers off because you could make pretty good money lifeguarding. Right. right? Yeah. And so I was around all these people who were stronger than me, faster than me, you know, in terms of athletics you know, and stuff. And they were going to law school and becoming doctors. And so I just kept thinking about, gosh, Hey, I'm a peace officer. I kind of know about the law part, you know, yeah. one angle, I think I'll go to law school. And mm -hmm. so I found law school. I found the challenge of law school to be right. satisfying. Right. I did really poorly the first year. No, really? Yeah. Because I had a master's degree. And I took an academic approach. I was going to say, did you have to reacclimate yourself? Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. Yes. I I had to figure out how to reorient and reframe yeah. my thinking. And so again, started to think about like, well, how do I do that? And so I just went to uh, somebody and said, hey, who is like a third year student or a fourth year student who's really smart at all this, mm -hmm. right? And and went and found him and paid him to tutor me because right. it wasn't that it wasn't that I, you know, couldn't get it. It's that I didn't understand the game. Right. right. And so once I understood the game, yeah. my second year, I did better. My third year, I did better. My fourth year, I did better. Mm -hmm. So much so that when we graduated, my classmates voted me as the salutatorian. No way. That's all. Awesome. Oh, they saw this big change, you know, and in, mm -hmm. in terms of what I was doing. So right. I got to give a speech I love uh, it. at graduation. So, yeah. So awesome. then, so then ends my law school, you know, and then that ends my 24 year career mm -hmm. and uh, as a lifeguard. And I did, I did one more thing is I promoted, I went to Sacramento and mm -hmm. promoted and became the chief lifeguard for the state of California. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't realize there was a chief lifeguard. Spot. Yeah. So oh, now cool. I was in charge of all of the 60 people, full-time people, the yeah. 600 seasonal lifeguards, yep. all of the training, Wow. all of the boat, the boat program, mm -hmm. right. A uh, personal watercraft. Uh, there's a, uh, uh, four, you know, Baywatch boats, right. Uh -huh. so I got to do right. I got to do policy stuff for all that. And that's really when my master's degree and my 
uh, law degree really kicked in. Gotcha. Gotcha. But, but it's really interesting because I needed that bachelor's degree in recreation to get going. Right. Right. And, and right. so yeah, exactly. I couldn't have done it without that. So right. I'm very degree. thankful that I got that bachelor's degree, but right. then those other degrees started to kick in and I, w- I went up and I, I was in Sacramento. Um, and as the chief lifeguard, I did policy stuff. You know, I wrote things. I was going to say, yeah, that's where your policy experience must have started to started to develop, eh? Right. And and they kind of figured out that I had, you know, maybe good writing skills and good analytical skills. And so mm-hmm. they kind of ignored the fact that I was a lifeguard. I was going to say they, they they probably weren't used to uh, their their chief lifeguard being uh, that smart and that capable. <laughs> right. So I started getting all these additional assignments and my stock rose pretty high. And then that's when, so I was, uh, that's when uh, they sent me to Hearst Castle. Right. And so I was at Hearst Castle for five years. And then uh, again, a different aspect of working for a government agency. I was in, you know, Southern California, high recreation, Mm -hmm. right? Surfing, hikers, campers, et cetera protection of natural resources, interpretive programs, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I went to Hearst Castle and, and jumped in with two feet uh, and did, you know, the heritage resource protection, right? historical right. stuff, the historic right. preservation, artifacts, interpretation. Right, right. right? And then all that stuff, I, I, I have to make a plug for it. All that stuff dovetails back into the, uh, pro the department that we're in experience exactly. and it's all about the experience yeah exactly you know i uh i i love that and um i i jerusha and i when we when we arrived in 2006 um not even two weeks into our uh to to our time here in san luis obispo we got a behind the scenes tour of hearst castle with kirk and uh and uh, I, I saw firsthand uh, uh, how amazing he is at, uh, at co-creating experiences for people because I, I, I later went, I don't know if I've ever told you this, Kirk, but I, I later went and did a tour with um, one of my uh, former mentors from NC State. She came and did an accreditation for us. And um, I did a tour with her and I was like, this is not nearly as good as what I got because <laughs> you took us to all the secret places and you told us all the secret things. And um, yeah, so Kirk was uh, you, you, sir, what was your official title there at Hearst Castle supervisor? I was the museum director. I ran the whole thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, that's what I, I knew you yeah. ran the whole thing, but I wasn't sure what the official title was. Museum director or park superintendent. Yes. Okay. Superintendent. I thought there was yeah. a superintendent in there somewhere. Right. But, uh, but yeah, when we when we went, uh, I guess this was the year after you had um, wrapped up your tenure there, and everybody was yelling and like. Uh, I remember a guy was he was up on top of a, one of the palm trees, like cutting off palms, and he like yelled, "Hey, Kirk!" <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So it was obvious that you were revered there, and. Um, um, you, you had some milestones too, while you were there at Hearst castle, like, uh, tell us about, um, the, weren't you the, um, the person responsible for getting one of the pools where people were able to swim in the pool? Yeah, th- there's a couple things there, uh, that we, we had some opportunities for improvement. 
Right. Okay. I, right. I can state that in a real positive way. One right. is changing the culture at, at Hearst Castle. Uh, when I first started there, there were cartoons, you know, political cartoons in, in our newspaper that showed Hearst Castle with a moat around it with barbed wire. Oh, no way. Yeah. And, and again, the implication is that Hearst Castle, you know, is not a good neighbor. Hearst Castle is not part of the community. So uh, part of uh, part of me being there was then to, to as a change agent to change the culture yeah. and to improve our internal processes and to improve our uh, relationships with the communities, uh, the chambers of commerce at the time. A study was commissioned, and Hearst Castle drove eight. What was it? Eight hundred million, three hundred million dollars, or something. Mm -hmm. And you know the the downstream revenue generation for the county. Mm -hmm. uh, and that wasn't a study that, like I did, where you might say it was biased. That that's somebody else did that study. Right. It was hundreds of millions of dollars that Hearst Castle was generating for the county before right. the wineries. Right. Right. Before that boom. And so we needed to be a better player. So, right. so that's that's kind of one thing. And then as part of doing that, morale is pretty low. And so ask people, you know, hey, what can we do for morale? And they said, well, we used to we used to be able to swim in the pool and it ran into some problems. And so it, it turned into more of a party than, ah. you know, than a swim. Yeah. So I said, OK, and I. <laughs> I did some research and, and found out, you know, what to do. And then being a lifeguard, you know, former lifeguard, I said, well, one thing we're going to do is every time we swim, we're going to have to have a lifeguard present. Yeah. Right. Okay, yeah. fine. And there has to be a manager present. Right. I set up some reasonable constraints. Right. No and alcohol, we, maybe. <laughs> yeah. No alcohol. Right. And, and, stuff. <laughs> and again, it, for, for students taking 342, it was mitigation, mitigating the risk through through these controls. Yeah. And so um we we started swimming in the pool again. That's awesome. Right. Yeah. And went for a number of years. Yeah. Uh I think I just missed that. I think you had the faculty up uh to go swimming the year before we got there. Uh-huh. Uh, I think uh yeah, we just missed that. But uh um that, that's probably a good thing. I probably would have like slipped and like knocked a few tiles into the water or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, uh, but yeah, talk about, wow, that was, uh, that was, that was quite something else. I, I remember your, my, your, I tell this story a lot, so I'll share this one here. I remember we were, we were out on the, um, I think it was the front patio and you said, look at all, uh, look at all these um, marble balls that are, that are um, affixed atop columns. And you were like, each one of those marble balls is worth a million dollars. And we were all like, wow, that's amazing. And then, and then later on, about an hour later, you open the vault and there's all these marble balls and you look at us and you said, you don't think we would let a million dollar marble balls stay out in the elements, did you? <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, right. I tell that story a lot. I love that. I love that one. And again, there's mitigation. Again. Mitigation. Exactly. Right. There's back to mitigation. And, yeah. and then that that's another story, because how do you duplicate something that's, you know, made out of carved rock, right? Alabaster. How do you duplicate that yeah. so that it 
the shape is easy to duplicate, but the color scheme, if you make it out of resin, what happens if it fades? So it's mm -hmm. a technology challenge just to create the duplications, right? Yeah, and, sure. and, and then having the foresight to say, hey, let's take those out of circulation and put them in a safe place. Right. Right. And so, yeah. Right. All good you know, stuff. I, I remember you played the game with us too. Uh, okay, each room we we went into, you would say, "Okay, what's real and what's fake?" <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you know, uh, that was pretty cool too. I love that. That was that was a fun game. No. Uh, so 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 after Hearst Castle, um, you obviously I, I don't, you, you um, we we talked about uh, beforehand. You, you started you started teaching here in, in two thousand and two. Is that right. correct? Yes, two thousand and two. Now, now um, obviously, I know um, I know what you've taught, but um, but tell our listeners because you know they um, you know the the former students maybe they only took one class with you or whatever. But I, I know you've taught at least four different classes, probably more than that. Um, what what are the what are the courses that you've taught? I think I've taught like I I don't teach the book in courses, right? You, you know. Um, the stuff at the beginning and the stuff at the end, although I have, right, you know, during right. an emergency, I've right. done supervisions and, you know, uh, senior projects and stuff, Right. But it, all the stuff in between, I, I think I've taught more classes that aren't offered anymore than <laughs> I've, than I've taught, you know, right. and again, that's another testament to the faculty talking about how do we keep this relevant for the students? How do we make sure our students are you know, relevant for jobs so that employers can see them. So, you know, taught a lot of classes that aren't, aren't even taught anymore. Yeah, that's right. You know, I hadn't even thought about that. Like uh, 350 uh, recreation areas and facilities management. You yes. and I both taught that. You you taught me how to teach that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And and, and it's interesting how, um, how the lab class for that, if you connect the dots, uh -huh. is now the lab class for the 342 class because eventually right. they they melded together that's right um that's so right. that's how we end up with a lab there right okay. so so uh, everything from experiential marketing to yep. uh to to risk management to uh finance yep. to <laughs> grants grant development yeah right uh, yeah and and there's been times where i've gotten phone calls literally a week before the the quarter Right, right. You know, and right. will you do this? Sure. You know, sure. and again, something happened and I'll happy to help out. So right, yeah, my, right. my kind of drumbeat with um, Dr. Hendricks and, and Dr. Greenwood, Jerusha is to say um, as much or as little as you want. Right. right? I got what, what can I, I do? And uh, so. Well, well, you know, um, I don't know. I I hope you I hope you feel this how how appreciated you you have been over the years and and um I know from a, a student perspective that that you've you've been uh you're revered you're revered I think is what I would what I would say and uh and, and we as uh you know we as the full time faculty we we go if we we think to ourselves wow if only we were as good as Kirk uh, ah, well thank you <laughs> you know as far as like looking up to you as an educator and um and uh you know I I think um one of the things that that I've learned from you over the years Kirk is just that that um that undying spirit of caring 
you know, when I when I've gone in and, and observed your classes and when I when I've talked to, to students over the years, um, they know and they feel how much you care about them. And that's, um, you know, that's a that's something that as an educator uh, is extraordinary. And um, I think, uh, you know, I I haven't always I don't think been able to emulate that as uh, uh very well and um in my uh in, in my later years as I, as i get as the beard continues to get grayer and grayer um i think i realize more and more and, and especially you know after these last couple of years and going through a pandemic i think that that element of care and, and of caring genuinely for people is just extraordinary and something that um you know you've obviously been doing for for many years it didn't take a pandemic for you and um but uh i think hopefully if anything can come out of of this pandemic hopefully it will be uh, as educators that we care more and that we're more empathetic towards our students and um, um i wonder if you can just speak to that you know obviously you you spoke earlier about your parents being teachers i would imagine some of that came from them, but um, am I am I onto something with that? You know, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know if I can connect the dots uh, back to them. Okay. Uh, but but I think we have to say obviously there's building blocks there, right? Mm -hmm. Because yeah. I could hear all the stories uh, about about schools and what was going on, right. and uh, there was also stories, you know, ab about students, right? Right. And so I think the, the challenge for me is how do we act? I mean, we can say we care, right? but how do we, how do we go from saying it to meaning it to doing it? Right. right? Just right. like we say, inclusion is important. Mm -hmm. How do we get, how do we go to the next step and really demonstrate that, right? Make it part of our culture. Yeah. And so it's kind of funny when, when I'm grading papers and somebody's paper is late or something, most often I have found Cal Poly students are really good about, you know, letting you know it's going to be late. And mm -hmm. so, so my first response back is, are you okay? Yeah. Do you need help? Yeah. Do you need help with this assignment? What can I do to help with your academic success? Yeah. Right. And, it, it, and uh, so it's, it's trying to operationalize it from a slogan mm -hmm. to really meaning it and, yeah. and doing it right. Yeah. Not knowing about it, but doing it. And yeah. at first, you know, obviously that when, when there's a new quarter, students don't know me. Right. And so you got to build it at every 10 weeks we start over. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> what's fun about it. Isn't it? That is the fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think that's uh, that's that's brilliant and and absolutely the case. And you know, I I look back and think about my own education, and I was a um, I, I was one of those that um, was completely disengaged as a student in 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 college, and and I was one of those that would make up stories and excuses and all of that. And and I had to I had to eventually I, I still I still have to to break through that and realize that most kids aren't like me. <laughs> yeah. And sure there might be a couple that were like me that were that were trying to get over on you. But ultimately, 
they're hiding some sort of pain, right? There, there's, right. Some, there's something. Um, and so if you're, if you're caring and you're empathetic and, and you, and you show that real care, it's, it's, a, it's pretty meaningful. So let's talk a little bit more now about, um, your, your continuing career, Kirk, because I know that, um, I know that the superintendent at Hearst Castle obviously was not your last job. So you're, you're now, um, you, uh, I know the, the governor called on you. Um, what was that about three or four years ago? Um, and asked you to, to, to oversee some different things. So can you talk about what you've recently done, you know, being, and being um, promoted to a Colonel of the California national guard and, and all, all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, I, I left Hearst castle and went back to Sacramento a second time. And I was, uh, in a position where I had influence over half of all the state parks in California for a year and then half over the other year. And that was a quasi political appointment. Right. Okay. And so, um, I did that, uh, for a couple of years and then retired. I worked for them kind of part-time did different things uh, for a couple of years, consulting and stuff like that. Right. Uh, I, I was doing a project for the state parks and it required me to interact with the, uh, the army base over here right? Mm-hmm. The Camp mm-hmm. San Luis Obispo. Mm-hmm. And so I was doing that project. And um, one day this captain comes up to me and, and says, I hear you have a law degree. I go, yes, I do. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I hear you're an attorney. I go, yes, yes, I am. Mm-hmm. And he goes, well, we need attorneys. <laughs> he goes, surprisingly, the military, you know, the, the national guard is pro attorney in terms of advising the department and advising commanders. So um, that's when I jumped in and and uh, started that you know kind of second career. Right. And right. it's it's kind of funny because I promoted in as a JAG officer, a Judge Advocate General, which uh-huh. is an attorney in the military. I right. promoted in that you know kind of silo. Right. Until I got a phone call one day. And I know the day, it was a Tuesday. I don't know the date. It was a Tuesday. Right. And they, they asked me, uh, they said, uh, you have experience with heritage resources. I uh-huh. go, yes, I do. You know about artifacts. Yes, I do. Uh-huh. You ran Hearst Castle for five years. Yes, I did. <laughs> yes, I did. So they, they grabbed me out of the JAG Corps and put me like into the regular guard uh-huh. As the commander of a museum command, ah, because again, just like Hearst Castle, they uh, they were hoping to to do just to, to make it better. Uh-huh. Right? There, there was kind of nothing wrong with it, but it just needed to be better. And and so again, this opportunity is for improvement. Um, and so like by the end of a phone call, I was not a JAG officer anymore. I was a commander, <laughs> right? And, and there's We've got uh, 45 people statewide, uh, about half of them in Sacramento and about half of them in uh, Southern California. Mm-hmm. And so we run the museum program for the, the Cal Guard. Right. And there's a, there's a museum up north and a museum down south. And then each, there's some smaller museums kind of sprinkled throughout the state. Right. And so we are kind of getting that go, you know, getting that going. Here's the funny thing, Brian. Yeah. Again, hello, billboard. Uh-huh. Hello, you, you know, 
experience. It, it links back to experience industry. I'm gonna say, yeah, I love you it. You know, and so, right. um, uh, I, I one of the things uh, after kind of getting going, I spent the first year, you know, working hard to mm-hmm. get the momentum headed in the right direction, mm-hmm. and then at the second year, started to think, all right, we need to do some training, and so here's how I designed two days worth of training. Number one, we spent a couple hours with Dr. Lacanata and he uh-huh. helped us. You got to understand he's the opposite of the military, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> I was thinking and, to myself, that must right. have been interesting. It, it, yeah. it was outstanding because oh, he yeah. came, he came at it, you know, from a experienced design. Yeah. And, and that took a couple hours and we did some breakouts. And then I asked one of the interpreters from Hearst Castle to come down. Right. And, and we, we did, in essence, what the students get at Cal Poly, what right. we get in the EIM department. Right. Who's the customer? Uh-huh. Is it a group of kids? Is it adults? What's going on here? What's the goal? Right. And then tied it back into theory in terms of Tilden. Tilden is the big gentleman. That's got, you know, Tilden's theory of engagement, you know, interpretation. Uh-huh. And so it tied it into Tilden. And it, I tried to make it um, not like a lecture, but a hands-on. Like right. I kept telling all the presenters, you got 15 minutes to give your core concepts. And then they get 35 minutes of engagement. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's what we kind of did uh, on day one. And then I'm working on another little project um, called this Heritage Emergency Response Team. Because, again, yeah. they're back to the link to heritage, right? Right. For over 75 years, the military has been protecting heritage resources during armed conflict. Right. So I took that concept and said, what if we apply it to earthquakes, mm. right, or flooding? Yeah. And so I I did a, again, back to EI, back to our degree, I did a needs assessment Mm -hmm. from needs assessment, came up with requirements to establish this program. So the second day then was doing some training on that. And I need a, I need a shameless plug here is uh, in October, I'm going to be doing an exercise and I need some people to come down and volunteer. Part of what we have to demonstrate is that we can we can incorporate volunteers into what we do. Ah, right. right? So shameless plug. I need 10 of you that are listening to come and help me in October. All right. So, and, and be, be on the lookout because Kirk will, will post, uh, will post something via uh, our jobs blog or via the email. Yeah. Via the email list. And um, yeah, that'll be a great opportunity. I'm sure, I'm sure you'll get a a number of students for that. I love it. And you know, um, it's a, it's really cool to hear you make these connections, um, you know, back to the back to the major and back to what we're doing. And that's one of the things that I've always been super impressed with you as well. Um, in addition to, you know, the caring aspect that I mentioned earlier, just in the classroom, you, you're you're able to make those connections that that students. Um, I, I feel like they have aha moments when they're with you because you you're pretty, you're pretty amazingly adept at leading them into a direction where you don't tell them they get it. They get that connection and they, and they, and they experience it through your teaching style. And I wonder if, um, 
if we can bring in your your EDD, your 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 next degree, right? Um, has, right. Has that, has that helped you? That that um, you know, your um, I know it was um, an uh, a doctorate of, of education in organizational behavior, correct? Or yeah. organizational communication, right? Leadership, leadership uh, strategy and organizations. And I started in the EDD program and then converted to a PhD. Oh, I'm so sorry. I knew That's that. All right. I knew that. And um, my apologies. So I've been saying EDD all along. I, I view them. I view them in concert, but I know. Yeah. Some people, yeah, yeah. I know some people don't, but I, 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 I've always respected them both equally. But um, but yeah, my my bad. You did start EDD, but then you ended up getting a PhD, right? I, I did. Yeah. Okay. I, I ended up you know, turning in the paperwork and switching it. It took an extra couple of years or so. But yeah, because oh, because I felt like the EDD was a fantastic degree mm-hmm. if you were going to put an emphasis on practice, right. practitioners. But I was right. thinking my law degree already has that, so mm-hmm. I wanted to go academics, and that's why I switched. I got you. Um, so, so, so has that has that really? Do you feel like that's really helped you in making those connections and being able to? You know, I, I feel like you were you were um, just. Uh, <coughs> just extraordinary in, in being able to communicate effectively with people. And obviously that translates really well into the classroom, but just those, those leadership skills that you've built over the years, um, I would imagine in, in having that uh, another advanced degree, I imagine that just kind of take, took it to the next level. You know, it really opened my eyes on the importance of theory, uh-huh. right? What, what is a, what is a paper in college um, versus how do we tie that paper to a theory, right? And then the value of tying it to a theory. And, and then, uh, you know, the value of um, citing other people's work as building blocks. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not what Kirk thinks. Like, it's like, I think this is important. And he- here's a, a 20 of my closest friends that I found in the literature that also mm-hmm. are headed in this direction, right? right. So it's the value uh, of the of the theory, and um, it, that's what I think is interesting. And then also it's it's the translation. So when I teach, I try and not make it about them as students. I mean, I frame the paradigm that they are working in the future. You know, mm-hmm. you're here working mm-hmm. and do stuff for your boss, right? right. And When I ask questions on midterms and final exams, I have this acronym and it's, let me think what it is. (laughs) D-R-C-P-G. And it's dear. I was was imagining, I was imagining like all of the listeners, like yelling out the letters. uh, (laughs) Yeah, right, right. (laughs) It's dear recent Cal Poly graduate. There you go. Right, so I'm framing this as they're working. And so hopefully it, it can tie in like it's like it's not about knowing it. Right. It's about applying it. Yeah. And then the next step after application really is analysis. So yeah. yeah. And uh yeah, I, I love that. That is just so great. <laughs> so so Kirk, you know, you've got you, we've we've got uh a little bit of an audience here, obviously, um, in, in that um 
I imagine a number of your your past students are, are listening and a number of our current students are listening. What advice would you give to um, to to either young professionals or students that are that are heading out into the world and experience industry management? Do you have any um, Do you have any wise words of wisdom to to that uh, to impart on them? I I really think you have to understand the goal. What is trying to be achieved? Right. Uh, overall, when you're working on your own or when you're working for an organization, they have a goal. Now, I know that the bottom line goal is financial, right. but that that goal is attained through initiatives mm-hmm. and new initiatives. And so it's understanding those initiatives and what what is being emphasized for this year and then once I understand that, then I can do a couple of programs or activities that have objectives that then can support that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, uh, and, and then the the next thing is um, really think. Mm-hmm. You know, really think about what's going on. Don't scratch the surface. Don't get it done as fast as you can. But really think. Uh, it's not about what you know. You know, it's not saying, hey, I did this and I did this and I did this, you know, in terms of writing something to your boss and stuff. It's Mm -hmm. how are we going to do something and Mm -hmm. how can I help you to be successful and us to be successful? So I think it's reframing your perspective. It's not about you. It's about the organization being successful. And ultimately, it's not about the organization. It's about the customers. Right. Right. And, and then again, that ties back into the experience. Exactly. That co-creation, right? That and, co-creation. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, uh, Kirk, uh, also, you know, when I think about, when I think about you and I think about the legacy that you, that you've, that you are, are, are leaving and, and, and for, or not leaving, but forging and, and then eventually leaving, right. Is, is, is one of lifelong learning. Right. I mean, yes. uh, you know, we, we talk about it and we say it and, and, you know, we hope that deeply embedded in learn by doing is this element of lifelong learning. Right. And, right. Um, and, but, but one of the things that I kind of struggled with a little bit in my early career here is I didn't see a whole lot of our students getting master's degrees after afterwards. And, um, and recently I have, I've seen like an explosion of, of our students going and getting master's degrees and, and whatnot. And, um, you know, if, uh, if, if ever there's someone to look up to along those lines, a, a master's degree, a, a JD, a law degree, and then a PhD, uh, on, on top of it. I mean, wow. What a, what a, what a spirit of lifelong learning. Can you, can you, um, maybe leave us with, with, um, with some reflection on, on that. Like what, what, what was it that, that has kept you, um, in that spirit of learning throughout your career? You know, I, th- I think the biggest thing is, you know, we, we, we talked a couple minutes ago about every 10 weeks we get a new class, right? Right. So it's right. all new. And, and so it's like, okay, what percentage of what we did last quarter carries over? What has to be new? How do we adapt? I mean, Brian, you and I talked about it. Look how many classes aren't taught anymore. Right. Right. And so it's this continuous improvement. Yeah. It, it's, it's, 
it, it really is adopting that philosophy of continuous improvement. Right. Uh, what can I do better? Uh, how can I do it better? Can I think differently? It, it's kind of funny because I, I uh, uh, critique how I did as I drive home every time, you know, uh -huh. what went well, what can I improve? Right. But, but it, it's, I, I think it's, it's an honesty of saying it, it's normal to critique. Yeah. It's normal to improve, right? Mm -hmm. And and know uh, where can I go get help? You know, right? Uh, uh, going to get help, um, finding a mentor, um, and um, really just thinking about what can I do to build to you know it, what can I do to design and conduct an outstanding experience? Yeah, you know. And, um, and then when we're done with that outstanding experience, we're going to evaluate it from a financial point of view, 424, mm -hmm. legal point of view, 342. There you go. Right? Uh, yeah. And we just keep going. All the classes yeah. that, that are taught in support of the degree become really important building blocks to, yeah. to analyze and see what we can improve. Right. But, I, you know, I, I just love what you what you just said related to your drive. You know, I'm thinking about that drive. Uh, I, I only made that drive for two years back to, to Los Osos. But um, but I remember so many times driving back going, OK, what could I have done better there? And I was back when I was teaching 350 and uh, yeah, right. <laughs> was struggling teaching it the first time. But um, but I, I think that is a, a such, such great advice there just to think about like every time time, you know, whether it's a sales call or whether it's um, a meeting that you've just led or whether it's, um, you know, a presentation you've just given. Um, obviously, for, for Kirk and I, it's a it's a it's a class we just taught, like, you know, just that 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 reflection that that, um, you know, I read a book when I was in graduate school called The, the Reflective Practitioner. And um, and it had a really um, deep impact on me because what I realized is that too often people just go and do their jobs and don't reflect on how they could do it better. Right. right. Or, or, and this is another one, and I'm sure you know this one very well. We have a tendency to blame it on others. You know, like <laughs> right. my, my, my job, I'm not doing my job well because of this person or that person or this person or that person. And sure, you know, interpersonal elements absolutely play a play a role but but thinking about each and every time you do something being reflective about it um i think is is so valuable and um and so i think that's a really great one to leave them on um kirk and thank you so much really appreciate you taking the time thanks for all that you've done over the years and um look forward to many more years together thank you talk soon brian thanks bye